Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. This is your home for inspiring conversations with women leading the way throughout the automotive spaces. I'm your host, Amanda Busick, and the power of this podcast is in the strength of this community. We believe that high tides rise all ships into each of you collaborating together to steer this ship forward. We see you, we recognize you, and we salute you. It's time to set sail. Another episode of Women Shifting Gears starts now. In raising awareness for child trafficking, Renee Brinkerhoff made it her mission to race her Porsche 356 on every continent on the planet. After North America, Australia, South America, Asia, Europe, and Africa, there was one continent left. Renee and Christina Brinkerhoff join us for our first ever two-part conversation to recap their almost improbable and final step of the global journey to Antarctica. In this episode, we're introduced to the Polar Porsche, the inevitable unknowns and chaos prior to embarkment, and the sobering act of writing death letters. As always, your Women Shifting Gears podcast is driven by Hemmings. Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. And if you are part of this community, you are very well aware of Renee Brinkerhoff's story and her mission to race on Antarctica. Well, this podcast is dedicated just to that. And joining us for this episode, it is two people. We have Renee Brinkerhoff as well as her daughter, Christina. And I want to go back to as you guys are getting ready for this trip. Renee, I'm going to come to you on this. It's mid-November. How prepared are you guys at this point? (laughs) That's a great question, Amanda. You know, you prepare and then you find out you're not prepared, right? (laughs) Isn't that so much what happens? All your great preparation. So a lot of things presented themselves that we weren't anticipating. And it came from that word pandemic, right? Everyone just so tired of talking about it. Chile had some of the strictest requirements for people entering and exiting their country in the world and changed those requirements maybe like a month or so before we left to make them less strict. But even then we learned that we needed about 30 to 45 days to get a special permit to get in the country. And my realization of of that was about 10 days before our departure. (laughs) And so it's, are you kidding me? Christine and I were talking and thinking, what in the world? We've done all this preparation. We even had got an extra year to get ready to go? And are we not going to get to go because of a piece of paper? So we pulled out all the stops and wow. did, um, you know, had to contact a lot of people. And I could give you a detailed answer if you want. We had to literally have someone go into the Chilean embassy and bring letters and paperwork and everything and plead our case. And they did that on Thanksgiving weekend. Wow. So people are not in their office. We left the day after Thanksgiving. and But we were able to get those papers Uh, There actually one document in particular, Friday morning of our Friday afternoon departure. Christina wasn't packed yet because we'd already booked flights for the next week, hoping we could get our paperwork done. So it was this massive scramble of trying to get to the airport, which was far from where we were, with this paper in hand and board that plane. And we did it and we got there. So, I mean, just little things like that become very big things and change what's possible, you know, in your horizon. Christina, you serve uh, in this role of a lot of support and logistics and operations as you're kicking off this adventure prior to Chile, prior to Antarctica. What's your kind of like daily to-do list at this point? Oh, it's long. And it's it comes from so many different places, right? Because I wear so many hats. 
there's the documentary piece, there's the all the kit and gear for that, for producing that and doing that effectively. And then it's all the logistics, right? And, and it's the media piece and getting the word out. And so, gosh, I don't hold regular hours, that's for sure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm on all the time, but it's such a rewarding job. I'm happy to do it. But gosh, we had, I feel like since the moment the car got on that boat in August in the UK, I don't feel like we, we breathed for probably till we got back in end of December. Well, it, definitely the, the photo of the car with the tracks on the back and the skis up front. I mean, it was everywhere when that photo was released. I still remember seeing it for the first time and being like, oh my goodness. <laughs> when you look at the media attention that that brought, uh, Renee, was there a certain like message or compliment that you got or that you were just like, wow, this thing is really making a splash this time? When we saw the car for the first time before it got put on that cargo ship was in the UK. So we, you know, again, COVID going through all the hoops to travel last summer, getting there. But it was, I was adamant, had to see the car before it got shipped, had to talk to the crew, had to just make sure we dotted all of our I's and crossed our T's. And they had it hidden behind this massive wall of drape threw back the black drape and there was this car with this cool lighting on it and we literally dropped our mouths dropped open and it is inexplicable you see it in a photo and it looks amazing but in person it's It's unbelievable kidding me what is that what am i looking at so incredible and then someone coined the name polar porsche sure which i absolutely love and was like that's what that car is that's polar (laughs) porsche and, I think it was an article out of Winnipeg. They called it the first time I saw that it called a polar Porsche. And it was like, well, that encapsulates it and does it so well. Was it better than you could have imagined? Yes. Absolutely. You mean the experience in Antarctica or the car? No, seeing it for the first time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Literally, I've never had an experience of my draw dropping. Yeah. And it did. I was stunned and was speechless about how awesome and how cool that car looked. I can't wait for you to see it a minute because it's this transformation that has, it's maybe the perfect version of the, the car and all of it, you know, it's been engineered throughout the way for, you know, for gravel, for off-road, for, for Kenya, for Mongolia, but the iteration of it with skis and tracks, it was, it's like it's perfect culmination and it's so stunning and breathtaking. It looks like a beast from outer space. I mean, it is unbelievable. So we're so excited to bring it back to the States and gosh, share how, um, wild and impressive it is in person. So we'll definitely get to uh, kind of uh, through the end of Antarctica and everything, but I imagine, so the car is still currently in this iteration. Yes. And and it's very, very difficult and almost impossible to think about it looking any different or yeah. being changed to go back. Why would you go back? Well, I want to go ahead and uh, get started on the adventure. It was November 27th that you guys would head towards Chile. But before that, I imagine there was a Thanksgiving at home. So what were the conversations around the dinner table that night? We didn't think we were leaving the next day. I mean, on Friday morning, the day we left, I called my mom just in repetition. I said, we're not leaving, right? Because I'm driving to Denver and I'm not packed and I need to make sure. And she goes, yeah, we're not leaving. Because I was like, because I drove 80 minutes away from where all my stuff was. And I think Friday night or Thursday night at Thanksgiving, we were all like, well, I guess, I guess we're going to leave next week and saying a lot of prayers, hoping that mobility pass came through. But mom, what else did we talk about? I think we, we were sort of certain it was going to, there was a pen in it for the next four or five days. It was actually a nice little pause. 
you know, madness that was jenning up toward the end, right? And it's like, okay, I guess maybe we're going to have a little time to breathe and actually think about what we put in that suitcase a little better before we close it. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I know. And I get the <laughs> Not- call. I'm 90 minutes from home and I packed and no exaggeration, eight minutes flat. I mean, I threw every, it's the biggest trip of my life. I was throwing stuff in my suitcase and then racing an hour plus to the airport. And when we got there, mom, what an insane relief to think that we'd actually at least made it as far as the airport. And hopefully we're going to make it the whole way. But uh, it was a, it was a heck of a lead into a, to that adventure for sure. And what's, uh, you know, the feeling at that point, Uh, you know, it was kind of, you knew it was on the horizon. You knew that Chile is going to happen, Antarctica is going to happen, but then it kicks you into gear and, and kind of like gives you a surprise there in the moment of heading on to this journey for yourself. At that point, where are you at? Where are you in your mind space, Renee? There were still so many unknowns. You know, we talked about how awesome the car looked, but how was the car going to perform? Have no idea. Did it get a test of sorts? Yes. In a backyard in the UK with a little bit of snow on some grass, we were unable to test the car to really give it a good test. And there's always these arguments of, do you test? Do you don't test? How much do you test? Because do you test it to the point of it finding out what's going to break and now it's broken, but then you've stressed something else that will, after you fix that, break that something else, right? So we just didn't have the the choice to the option to, to test the car. And so how is it going to perform? What's it going to do when we get down there? You know, so we're still questioning, are we, we've got our mobility pass now where we're going to get down there, but what's going to happen with the car when we really get there? And, you know, being a culmination of all the continents, having done six before that, you know, up to 20,000 miles and having all these people care about what we're doing, joining us, following along, cheering us, you feel this massive weight of responsibility. It's already a lot even within the team internally, because we have the sense of accomplishment, we need to get this done. But then when you know there's all these people that have been with you all these years, it's a huge, huge thing that you feel we have to, we have to get this done. And that was all building up as we were going down. Talk more about that team internally. Who all joined you on this trip? Myself, obviously, Christina, and Christina was down there behind the lens of the camera. So those wonderful photographs that you've been enjoying, that we've all been enjoying, were created by her. Uh, super challenging, which she may get to talk about. We had Simon Redhead, who's from York in, in England. And he's been with me since 2017 when he came on board to be a part of Project 356. And he was sourced through Richard, Richard Tadhill. Richard recommended Simon to be our head mechanic through all these races. So he was going to be there. And then we had Neil Carey, who is an independent, I don't know if you call him cinematographers now, he would be behind the camera, the video camera, and creating all of that content for us. And he's done a lot of work for companies like Top Gear or other uh, car brands. And also he was, this was his bailiwick. This is his briar patch. He knows how to film a vehicle. But again, this would be a whole new experience for him being in Antarctica with these kinds of temperatures and winds and all, how would his, his equipment uh, perform. And uh, and then we had a driver that we hired from the logistics company that would be joining us. But that was our team. It was Lean and Mean. And, and um, Jason, mom. Oh my gosh, Christina, <laughs> thank you. How do I forget Jason? So Jason is the person that I contacted in 2017 
when this whole idea started as our polar expert. Yeah, okay. Jason, our polar expert. Yeah, thank you. Who really opened up the doors for us with the logistics company. He had this amazing reputation with them and they trusted him so much. So things where they might have been hesitant for somebody else that were giving us a yes. They were and enthusiastically. And he sat in the car with me and did the 356 miles navigating with me and a phenomenal individual. Assuming Jason has Antarctica experience, maybe, and that's that's kind of what I find so fascinating. Like as a commoner sitting at home myself, or just anyone listening to this, and and we say, "Hey, I want to go to Antarctica." <laughs> like, how does someone do that? Yeah, well, it's super easy if you want to take a cruise ship, right? To sign up, but to do what we were doing, you had to get approval. There's a a governing body for all activities in Antarctica. They have to approve any expedition that's going to take place there. And we were able to get that approval right away. And that was, uh, I actually started conversations with them prior to talking to Jason and they did approve what we were doing, but having Jason be with us and on board with us, it was a lot more doors even open with more opportunities. He's been down there so many times. He has the world record of the fastest land speed in a vehicle to the South Pole. He, it, it was something like 20 some days or something. And then he went down and did it in maybe the two first and a half. time in 60 yeah, hours, I think. 60 hours was it in a, in a vehicle? Massive difference in time, right? And then he realized through that experience that he could even be faster. And uh, so he went back. And so he still currently holds that, that land speed record of driving to the South Pole. Super person to have on your team. Great, great ad. We'll be right back after a quick pause from our Women Shifting Gears, driven by Hemmings Podcast, to hear from our sponsor, Covercraft. At Covercraft, they understand it's not just a car, it's tradition. Passed from generation to generation. That's why for over 50 years, they've dedicated themselves to protecting the things that move you. They understand that the things they help you protect are the things that help you pursue your passions. And their passion is for finding the best ways for you to focus on yours without worrying about anything else. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Prior to your adventure down there, had there been a Porsche on Antarctica? Never. No classic car, no Porsche, no car with this kind of setup that I'm aware of. And not, definitely not in the area that where we were. We were in the interior of Antarctica. There are no animals, no insects. There's nothing. Snow, snow, and ice on ice. I mean, it was a stunning place, but very stark and very severe. I keep thinking what I find so fascinating by this, and I know that the media attention has been all around the, this and following the journey, but I can't help but people are going to look back on this and look at like what a pioneering trip this was for you. <laughs> What do you think, Christina? <laughs> Gosh, it's so hard to wrap our heads around because we've been on the inside, right? We've been on the inside of it and we've been working. It's just my mom and I. So we're so strapped for energy time. And I think we're, I think in so many ways, we're unable to sort of see it from a macro perspective. And we stop and go, Gosh, this is unbelievable. Or, Gosh, what an incredible. We definitely stop and have those moments, but we've been on the inside. So it's been hard to sort of understand. But it is the, even the reaction of the people that work down there, who, sure. and they see everything, right? They see people that want to, gosh, you know, there's a bunch of skiers that are going to the pool, but there's people that go there to do first, climb on mountains, sure. take their clothes off, see if they can, see, you know, brace the elements for an hour and a half. So they, they mean, they've seen so many things, but they are so excited about the Porsche. And 
gosh, there's the people in Chile and then the people at the base. And we've seen your car. We can't. We were getting messages on Instagram. Gosh, people just so many strangers. We saw your car down there. We can't wait to see it. So it's just there's been so much esprit de corps from all the people that have wanted to see us succeed, which has been so special. Do you feel that, uh, I mean, I know that uh, back in 2017, when this journey kind of set out for you and you, I know you had the Antarctica part as part of this journey. Did you ever face any kind, I don't say naysayers in a way, but any kind of like you want to do what? Of course, from the get go. I remember when I first uh, met with some individuals and floated this idea, it was like, yeah, you say you're going to do that, but I highly don't believe it. I don't believe it. I, I met with Jeff Swart right out of the gate in early 2017 and shared with him, you know, this was before we even actually settled on the name for Project 356 World Rally Tour. And, you know, he's he's done an amazing, he's done amazing things in vehicles, right? And seen amazing things done. And I sat in his office in, in Southern California and shared with him an idea. It was our first time to meet. And his takeaway was that's super cool. I'll believe it when I see it. It's like, I've heard so many people say they're going to do things. And so of course, you know, when you say, and even for us, you know, it was saying, we're going to take this car and we're going to race it on every continent in the most extreme environments in the most extreme races in the most difficult way, had no idea what that meant, you know, what we were setting ourselves up for. And it was super hard in every one of those races to achieve it. And then we were here at this massive one at the end, right? With an, a huge unknown and challenge before us. So and many, <laughs> many people wondering, what? Yeah, you say this, but we'll, again, let's see. How, it. <laughs> how many times have we talked about, can you believe you chose it? You fell in love with the Porsche 356. I mean, oh, it would have been hard in any car. Like it, it would have been hard in a 911, some of the stuff we've done. It's hard in much, much easier vehicles, but my mom fell in love with the Porsche 356 and there we went. And it's just like so many of the things that are already challenging are infinitely more challenging in that car. And there's huge obstacles and barriers of of taking that car to Kenya and Tanzania and and the East African safari. So anyway, it's it's been challenging at every turn and incredibly rewarding, but definitely challenging. In fact, when I first approached Jason about doing this in this car, and, to, and then talk to Kieran, the engineer, Kieran Bradley, who the two of them have the world record to the South Pole. It was, would you consider another car? <laughs> right out of the gate. Would you consider another car? No, I won't. Nope. <laughs> nope. Or we got to figure this out. Yeah. Or can you fuel inject the car, right? I mean, there was, some, there was always questions about modifying the car more than you were willing to modify it and in ways that it would have been easier. But that was not the road we chose. Which is an interesting point because I heard there were some carburetor issues along this journey in Antarctica, which we'll definitely get into, but we're still kind of setting this a little bit up as you guys uh, head on this adventure. Between the both of you and and not just driver, teammate, but what roles do you guys play with each other? Hmm. That's a really good question, Amanda. Well, we're mom and daughter. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that to me is for me always present. Because that's the first relationship that I value. That's the most important relationship. So everything is subjugated to that. If it doesn't serve or doesn't enrich that relationship, then something else seems to change because that's paramount. And then it's, I guess I'm boss, but in many ways, we're just teammates. 
because we mm-hmm. switch hats back and forth. There's some hats I can't wear, like I can't photograph and do different things. And Christina hasn't had the experience of driving the car. So we do have our separate, very distinct roles, but there's lots of crossover. And I value Christina's opinion. She has uh, a younger perspective and, and even just forget the age, a different perspective sometimes. And so it's enriching to have those shared ideas. I love working with my daughter. Our sons have been supportive, especially one of them along the way. Uh, They've all been supportive, but as actually practically helping us do things. And that's always awesome. But there's something very special about the fact that we're both women that brings something else to this. I think it's, again, I'm so inside of it, it's hard. But I do think that we sit back, not that infrequently, and go, gosh, can you believe we get to do this together? And I know when I look back in my life, because this is not a linear career path for me. I used to be an agent. To film. I mean, I have, I just, there was, I was on a different journey at one point. And I'm doing this with my mom and it's an, in so many ways an aberration, right? From a direct path. But it, it's such a rich experience. And I think we're so in tune with the fact that we're so blessed to be able to do this together. We're blessed to be able to be in a tent in Antarctica and a tent in the Gobi Desert. And we've gone through so many versions of, incredibly difficult experiences together on on all these continents and all these places so i i'm so honored to be able to work with them and and i practically i think we work so well together it's sort of surprising it's so symbiotic and um, there's a huge exchange of ideas and um, there's a huge amount of respect so it's a really meaningful way to spend my life when the helmet is on renee do you see mom or do you see driver both i see both there's times when i see her as driver and captain and all those things. And then there's times where specifically in other rallies where the car hasn't come in and it's hours late. And I'm have, I think I sort of carry low grade panic that I don't <laughs> acknowledge because I know sure. how fast she's going. I know I just saw somebody wreck and I don't know where she is and I can't reach her. So I do fall into once in a while, I, I sort of acknowledge, gosh, yeah, that's my mom. Have you ever thought of putting the helmet on yourself? Yeah, I'd love to. I I have to sell the documentary and finish this this chapter, and then I I can't wait to see what's next. But I definitely want to put on a helmet. Mom, about Christina wearing a helmet. Yes, I'd love that. I would love her to. That doesn't mean I'm giving up the wheel. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so tandem adventures ahead. All yeah. right. I've definitely worked on some concepts of how we might do that and what that might look like, right? And just, you know, when you say, what is my focus? Yes, when I'm in that car, it's driver, but there have been times when things have happened and I see her on the side of the road and then I see two female lions, some lionesses. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And now my focus is no longer driving. It's where's my daughter and is she safe? Right. So those things do come have to come into play and do come into play. You're, of course, that's my first role. That's my primary role for me. Um, that's the role I chose in my 20s to be sort of my paramount kind of thing. And even, I don't know, there's, a, there's such a connection there. How, you can't put that away. I, there's no way. You guys land in Chile, and at this point, you're only several days away from making the trek officially to Antarctica. At this point, is there anything that uh, I, I know you guys went clothes shopping while you were down there? I imagine from the last minute rush, you still had to pick up a couple things. But where's the preparation at this point? Is it are you buttoned up? Are you ready to just head to Antarctica? Or are there still other things you guys are facing while you're in Chile? Well, we arrived on Saturday. We had to spend a night 
in Santiago due to quarantine requirements. We finally get to Punta Arenas, which is about a three and a half hour flight south to the tip of Chile. We got there and I think Jason arrived on Wednesday. And once Jason arrived, all the kit preparation started. I mean, all sorts of things that we weren't totally aware of before about things that we needed to prepare for and certain things with our goggles and our glasses and some safety things. So we were definitely in go mode. And then we had to COVID test every day up until we left. And so we would have to go on site and test and and follow all their procedures. And then we were planning with ALE, the logistics company of what was our route going to be and what was their preparation due to their, the challenges they had setting up camp late due to COVID and the weather. And so they, their camp was delayed starting. It's about a two-month season. And so they're all go. So we're wondering where the curve, how, you know, what's the ice penetrating radar look like? What is the, where are we going to be able to travel? What is the mileage going to look like? And can we do gas fuel dumps? So there's tons of logistics preparation that were going on up until we left on Sunday um, to get on that plane to Antarctica. Renee, you guys had made a post on November 27th that said you were having a bit of trepidation. What was the leading concern at that moment? My main concern, other than how would the car perform, was how was I going to stay warm? Yeah. And through a lot of decisions that were made, there was no heat in the car. And how do you generate heat when you're sitting? You're not burning calories, really. And it's through motion, right? And I'm not going to be mobile. You're out in sub-zero temperatures, And even if you're dressed appropriately, you've still got to be moving. And so I was concerned, how am I going to keep my feet warm? How am I going to keep my hands warm? And of everything I put in my suitcase, I brought more sock options and more glove options than (laughs) anything else. Literally, I probably had six or seven different types of glove applications, mittens, gloves, liners, all different kinds. And same for my socks. And I actually had more... I only had like one pair of pants, one of this, one of that. But when it came to shoes, three or four options. They have to fit on the pedals, right? They can't be too bulky because I got to fit my feet and work the pedals, right? This is a manual car. And uh, and then my hands. And so those were main concerns. Those things were actually one of the major kinds of things that I was dealing with in the car. The other thing was something that happened when we were in Chile before we got on the plane to go to Antarctica was we had some briefings with Jason and sometimes they'd be over a coffee at the coffee shop after we'd had our daily COVID test. But then we had some at the little VRBO little house we rented together. And he said, I I want you guys to take me seriously. And I want you to listen to me. I want you to think about if you never come home and I want you to think about what do you want to tell those people you love? And I want you to write a letter to each one of those people. That was a very kind of sobering moment, right? Because he'd been saying all along, this will be the most dangerous thing you've ever done. And in my mind, I was was always saying, Jason, you don't know what I've done in that car. You don't know the dangers I faced. You don't know the near miss accidents and then even the accident. And then he said one thing that helped me. He said, think about all those races you did. Think about Mexico because that was the most treacherous In my car, because my car could be competitive. So we were always fast and on the very edge of having an accident, like pushing that envelope. He said, think about going around that corner on that cliff with no guardrail that you could see, but now you can't see it. You can't see it. And that's what it is when you're down there. Those dangers that I'm trying to tell you about, you 
cannot see them. Even though we're going over areas that have ice penetrating radar that have gone over them, that doesn't mean it's 100%. That doesn't mean that that ice bridge that we're going over doesn't give out. So it was really actually really great of him to do that. And I think that was great as a team to have him share that with us. And I don't know about the other team members. There were saw these jokes about the death letters. Have you written your death letter yet? You know, <laughs> but uh, I did. I wrote letters to everyone in my family, did those thoughtfully. No, we all did. I think we all, it, it, it was incredibly sobering, the things he started to tell us 48 hours, 72 hours before we left. And, and we all sat down and wrote letters to our loved ones. But, and it's an amazing experience because you have to sort of take stock of what that is and who you need to talk to and what you want to say if you don't come back. And you sort of realize the gravity of what you're doing. And, you know, he's like, this is an envelope of risk that you've never entered before. This is totally unlike anything you've ever done. And we think we've done some pretty risky stuff, but um, Antarctica is a whole different tier. Renata, who was the first letter written? Uh, my husband. Yeah, I wrote it. We've been married 43 years this year. So that was my first letter. Can you share what you said? Oh, wow. Mm. Well, of course, I love you and what he means to me and what our life together means. And then my hopes for our last years, what those years will look like. The problem when you do this, Amanda, is when she cries, I cry. It's a biological reaction that happens. <laughs> and of course, you think, you know, thanking him for the wonderful things that you see in him. Gotta tell him thank you. All those noble things that that he's done and who he is. So, yeah. Christina, who was your letter to? Oh, um, I wrote a letter to my dad, and I wrote a letter to my boyfriend. It's not fair asking this question after she goes. It happens every time. Um, but oh, gosh, I have three siblings, and I didn't write them all a letter. I wrote a letter to my dad, and um. You know, he's just given us all so much. So, Have the two of you thought of how empowering this mission must be for you two, that you're willing to risk your life for it? I mean, it's not uh, a mystery that it gives incredible gifts. And I think it's, it's sort of like steroids of growth that happen in those kind of experiences because they're so extreme and there's so much that you have to rise to the occasion. And so I think uh, inevitably you, you sort of see in yourself what you're capable of. I think you see, I see what my mom's capable of. I see how we're able to um, occupy the space that's in front of us and grow. And so that's the amazing thing about these sort of ex adventures and races and environments that we've been in is that they're, there's not a lot to rely on other than what's inside of you because you're in a foreign country. You usually don't use the language you're down on resources and you just have to be creative and dig deep. And I think we've had to dig deep in a lot of different ways. And Antarctica was no different. You tap things inside yourself in those environments, in those places that you cannot access without being in extreme challenges or in extreme situations. And it's so hard to not, for me to not to want to live in that place every day. Mm -hmm. I love that place. I love having to be uh, like at my limit of who I am and dig deep and find those resources. And I have faith in God and that taps me into that energy as well. And that source of love and strength. 
and it brings you down to the most basic things of who we are as human beings, the most core things of who we are. And the emotions are the rawest. Everything, you are at your most primitive, basic, real self. You're stripped from everything in your environment that you see and live and rely upon day to day in a normal setting. And I love that place. Even though we were delayed four days because of a really bad storm in Antarctica, I was so happy to be delayed. I didn't, I mean, yes, I wanted to get home. We weren't sure we were going to make it home before Christmas. And I want to be with my family. I want to see my husband. But I loved being there and I didn't want to go home. It's that conflict. There's this constant conflict. I spoke to our driver down there about Tom. And I said, I can see how this is an incredibly hard place. Been down there for, I don't know, 13, 14 seasons. I, I said, I, you, I sort of got the sense immediately, I see how you don't want to leave doing this because it takes you to your very edge and you get to find out so many things about yourself and about the meaning of life and who you are and who what's important. And so that thing, like my mom said, doesn't happen unless a lot of times you're in extraordinary circumstances or difficult circumstances. So you can see why you sort of want to go get your fix and go do something else that will take you to your edge. I get why people want to keep climbing mountains and doing things like that because you get a sense of some incredible things when you do those things. I want to remind the listeners and those that may be new to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings that within all of this journey for Renee, a lot of that mission is dedicated to Project 356, which is a organization to raise awareness and money for victims of sex trafficking and child trafficking. When you're in these moments of the fear or the paralysis of fear, how much of knowing that this is a higher calling for you that pushes you forward in that fear? Very much why we're there, what we're doing it for, having people's names that donated you know, to our campaign and had their names inscribed, having those people, there's something that was so amazing to have those people's names inscribed and writing their names on it and feeling that they were there with us. But it was re- at that was reminding us of why, why we're here, who we're here for, who we're fighting for. And that's ever present. That's ever present. That's the, uh, the heart inside, you know, of, and, and, you know, these experiences in this car and the things and the places in myself where I've had to go have given me skills and equipped me in a way to make me better in this whole thing that we're doing for kids that are trafficked. And very specifically is when I'm standing in front of a trafficker and he's showing me on his phone, the children that he's selling, or when I'm sitting next to a girl who is for sale and I'm holding her hand, I'm sharing moments in life together in her darkness, giving some light and some love and something that's not ugly. And these, I've had my purse, I've had, I stopped, you know, they security check you when a lot of times when you go in these places, I've had them take my purse and search my purse. And I have a hidden camera. I have equipment in there, surveillance equipment. And you can't miss a beat. You can't miss a step. Your expression on your face, what's coming out of you, emanating from you has to be totally, I'm cool. I'm cool. I've got this. And these experiences in the car, I think, have really given me even more of tapping into this part of me inside that I've been able to be in these situations and not have trepidation, not going out of that character that I have to be and that person that I have to be to overcome in that situation. 
So it's, it's really been incredible. There's this kind of this tie in between the two and yeah, it's, they're, they're just linked. They're hooked together. You know, this whole thing, there's just so meshed. And it's incredible that every time somebody goes, what, what are you doing here? And why does the car look like you can tell them why? And if we weren't doing something so out of the box, we wouldn't be able to talk about it. Right. Cause we all have things we care about. We all have passions and um, causes, but, but it was, it's such a unique, obviously I'd hate to be so on the nail, but it's a vehicle, right? It's a vehicle and a conduit for our ability to raise funds and awareness. And so they're inextricably linked. Well, I find it unbelievably honorable and selfless that you are willing to risk your life while millions and hundreds of thousands of people are fighting for theirs. Well done. As mentioned at the top of this show, this is episode one of two with the Brinkerhoffs. Next week, Valkyrie Racing heads off to Antarctica for the adventure of a lifetime. Thank you for listening to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. Hemmings, your marketplace for the car collector enthusiast since 1954. This podcast is produced by GS Events.